speaking, thank you, Devin, of generosity, you have to make a choice this morning, and your choice is between either $10,000 a day for the next 90 days. You walk out of here, you get $10,000 a day for the next 90 days. That's option A. Option B is you walk out of here and you get a penny, and for the next 30 days, that penny doubles every day. And you got to choose one of those two options. At the end, you're going to end up with money, but you get to choose which option. Show of hands, how many of you are $10,000 a day for 90-day people? Where are you at? Okay, one, my man, two, three honest people. Okay, how many of you are, I'll take a penny today and see what happens if I double it over the next month. Good answer. I mean, if you take $10,000 a day for 90 days, you end up with how much money? Math is hard, $900,000. But if you take a penny today and you double it every day for a month, you end up with $5,368,709.12. And I know it would be hard to trust that one penny could turn into that because one turns into two, two turns into four, Four turns into a, you like, this is not getting me very far, but over time, in, in a few short days, multiplication kicks in, and one penny turns into over $5 million. We're seeing multiplication like that happen in our study in the book of Acts, where 120 people gathered up post-crucifixion of Jesus, wondering what in the world's going to happen Jesus comes, shows that he's resurrected, empowers the church with the Holy Spirit, and 120 turns into 10,000, 10,000 turns into, over a very short period of time, millions of people, multiplication. And at the church at Nolensville, some 2,000 years later, we still want to be about multiplication. We don't want to just add programs or add people to the church. We want to be disciples of Jesus who multiply other disciples of Jesus. And so we're continuing to walk through our study in the book of Acts, and I see many of you still carrying your Acts Scripture journal that we gave out eight weeks ago when we started this. If you have an Acts Scripture journal eight weeks into this, you get a penny on the way out, and I'm just going to pray God doubles it every day. And if he does, would you please tithe on that? All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, 19, and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word today. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and large number believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 27, news about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a large number of people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, 
They met with the church and taught large numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Verse 23, when Barnabas arrived, the grace of God was apparent. Lord, would we be faithful like these early Christians to share the good news of Jesus with those whom we encounter? Would you call us, Lord, to be disciples that multiply disciples? Would the grace of God be here? And Lord, would we carry on this mantle of faith established here in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen. Amen. And right in the middle of this story, we're reintroduced to Barnabas. And if you don't know much about him, Barnabas is a very interesting guy. He's the one sent to check out this work. He was a Jew. In fact, he was a Levite, a member of the priestly tribe, which was a big deal. And he was a native of Cyprus, which meant he was familiar with the Hellenistic Gentile area and culture, probably fluent in Greek. And Luke's a master storyteller here. How many of you, just to give you a picture of this, have ever watched any of the Marvel movies? Show of hands. Not a guilt trip. I love them too. So in the Marvel movies, they'll often introduce a character and he'll have a brief spot in the movie and then he's gone. But then later there's this entire series built around that one character. Well, will Luke introduce Barnabas back in chapter four, just briefly, we learned that his name was actually Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. He sold a field, brought the money to the apostles' feet, laid it there, and he earned the nickname son of encouragement because it mustn't, must have been more than a one-time event. There must have been something about the way he lived on a daily basis where he just stood out as an encourager. Perhaps this is why he's chosen, it says, to go to Antioch and see what in the world is happening. And he leaves Jerusalem, just like many of the other Christians did. If you read in the first few verses, persecution was rampant, and it had scattered the early church, and they had made their way as far as Antioch. And many of them, they only shared the gospel Jew to Jew, Jew to Jew, Jew to Jew. But some of them, they decided to share the gospel with other Gentiles, which is a good thing because unless you are Jewish by birth and you are also a Gentile. So what you're reading here is the beginnings of the gospel beginning to saturate other ethnicities and the gospel floods up to Antioch. And so he goes to check it out. Is this a big deal? Is something happening there? The persecution scattered the early church, and it was Christians who made their way there. People, we don't even know their names started to go up there. The apostles were still in Jerusalem, and Barnabas goes to find out, hey, is this work? Is it real? Is it a big deal? Hey, Barnabas, go figure this out, and look at, look at where he travels. This is Jerusalem down here. And the persecution had scattered them, and and they had made their way all the way up here to Antioch. And this is going to become a very, very important city. And Barnabas gets up there, and he reports back, hey, you know what? This is legitimate. This is a powerful work of Christ. Antioch, this town, these people have truly encountered Jesus. And now someone's got to help mature them. Someone needs to disciple them. Someone needs to help them begin to deepen and develop their faith. I wonder who Barnabas could get 
to come help him. I mean, maybe he considered Peter. Should we go get Peter? No, I mean, Peter's still learning that, that the gospel's for everyone, including the Gentiles. He, he's not there yet. No, Antioch needs someone who, who can cross cultural boundaries, someone who truly understands Jesus is for all people, someone who can help articulate the gospel from the Old Testament all the way up until today. And so Barnabas knows just the guy. We, we read it. Did you catch the name of the person that Barnabas went to go get? Look back at verse 25. Then he went to Tarshish to search for who? Saul. Risky move. Because remember, we met Saul last week in chapter 9 when he was headed to Damascus. He wasn't headed to Damascus to help them run a summer VBS campaign. That's not while he was going to Damascus. He was headed there to continue the persecution against the early church that started with Stephen, as we read. He was trying to wipe Christianity off the map. In fact, Saul's persecution was so fierce that after Saul's conversion to Paul, that peace actually reigned for a season amongst the Christians. But it, Saul was headed to Damascus. He met the resurrected Savior, and he was converted from persecutor to preacher. And remember, Jesus told Saul, hey, go back to Jerusalem. Hang out there, and I'll tell you what to do next. And he goes back, and he meets up with the apostles, and they were not that excited to see Saul coming into their camp. Can you imagine? I mean, sure, he's going to become Paul and be a powerful man of God, but at that point, you're not really sure you want him on your team. In fact, our church would have policies that would keep him from ever even being on our church staff. And so Barnabas goes to get him. He advocates for him. He believes in him. Paul would it be Paul if it weren't for Barnabas advocating for him and standing up for him? He says, hey, you know, Paul knows the culture of Antioch. He grew up as a Roman citizen. He knows the daily pressure of trying to live out your faith against opposition and pressure. I'm going I'm to advocate for this guy. I'm going to believe in him. And I pray that you have someone in your life that believes in you like that. And I hope you also have someone in your life that you're believing in and calling them into their purpose and calling their purpose out of them. Everyone needs an ally like that. I mean, Saul was persona non grata in the early church. and Barnabas believed in him and vouched for him. And now he's inviting Saul to come with him to Antioch to help teach and develop. And when they got to Antioch, look at what they did for a whole year they met with the church and did what? They taught them. But Paul and Barnabas showed up and for a year helped ground and deepen their faith. For a year, every day, day after day, they met and taught. We struggle meeting once a week, especially when it's raining outside. Hey, you could just say amen because you're here on a rainy day. So you're like, amen, preach, brother. They met for an entire year, day after day, and transformation took place. They became disciples who multiplied disciples, so much so 
that this church in Antioch becomes the center for world missions in that day. It, it becomes the greatest missionary sending church the world has known. This is the hub where Paul takes all of his missionary journeys out of, and it started with this group being discipled every day for a year. It's one of the reasons why we have said, hey, this is a year where we as a church are going to go deeper, helping you take your next step, grow in your faith. Now, we're going to continue to make every effort to saturate our reach with the gospel. We want every man, woman, and child that breathes air to hear the gospel because of us. The gospel is the only answer to the human soul. We're not going to stop preaching the gospel, but we also want to disciple people. Evangelism and discipleship, two sides of the same coin. We're going to preach the gospel, but we have to disciple people. And we run into people all the time, and this is their discipleship story. Maybe this is you. This is the story. They were fortunate enough to be connected to a church as a, a young person, and somewhere around 7, 8, 9, 10, they become a Christian. They have a real experience with Jesus. Maybe it's camp. Maybe it's VBS. It's as real as real can be, but then no one really helps them grow. They're born again, but they don't ever do anything again. And they're born again, but they don't grow again. And their faith never deepens. And they, they begin to have to face life with this seven-year-old understanding of Jesus, which kind of blows up when you're 18, 19, 20. Like, I can't figure this out. Is God real? Why is there this hurt and this pain? And you begin to struggle. Is God real? Well, maybe, maybe I didn't accept Christ. Maybe, maybe that wasn't true. So they, they do it again. They rededicate their life. You're baptized again. But then again, no one helps them grow again. So then they're going through life with an 18-year-old's understanding of faith, which blows up again at your 30. So you need, feel like you need to get saved again. You get baptized again. And we're ministering to people who are 40 and 50, and they're so wrinkled because they've been baptized 12 times. You only need to be saved once. You can't lose your salvation. And baptism is an act of obedience. But I can promise you, there churches that are full of people that went through a religious act but never really followed Jesus. I know that's true, but I also believe it's true that churches are full of people who encountered Jesus, had a real experience with Jesus, but were never discipled and then begin to wonder, why is it that Jesus doesn't work for me? We want to reach people with the gospel. That is our mission and mandate, but we also have a mission and mandate to disciple people. We have to learn what it means to disciple people. So we're told, hey, have a quiet time. Ten minutes a day. Good place to start. But did you know that ten minutes a day is not enough to equip you for the battle that is raging in this world? We've got to learn what it means to be discipling others, what it means to be discipled by people. And what, what I'll say next is not at all meant to be a drive-by guilting. If you take it that way, Jay Fennell, that's on you. I'm really sorry. That's on you. It's, just, it's not me. But statistics show that the average American, so not you, the average American, your neighbor, okay, the one that mows their grass at 6 a.m., your neighbor, the average American watches five and a half hours of television and social media every day. The average teenager spends six to seven hours 
on a screen every day. So it's not hard to imagine what's capturing the heart of the average American. Which means it's probably also not hard to imagine what's capturing the heart of the average American Christian. And it's not hard to wonder why the world can't really tell a difference between the average American Christian and everybody else. Like, what's capturing our hearts? Senior Pastor Mike Glenn says, the world doesn't get mad because we're different. The world gets mad because we're not different enough. Hey, if you say that's what you believe, why is there a disparity in your life? And one of the things that keeps me up at night, like praying and asking God for more, is because if God were to send someone like Barnabas here to the church at Noblesville and he showed up, would he write back similar things that, that he wrote back? Now, I see the grace of God. I see people living out their faith. We just need to help them grow. I see an authentic movement of God. If someone stepped into your life group, stepped into your home, stepped into your place of service, would they recognize what's happening here as an authentic movement of God. And then if each of us like, got to sit down and we got a nickname, like Barnabas was son of encouragement. If we got a nickname, what would ours be? What would yours be? And I know, I mean, Paul and Barnabas met with them for a year. I know that I am not Paul and I am not Barnabas. Thank you for not saying Amen. But the same Holy Spirit that was radically changing that early church is the same Holy Spirit at work in our church. And and so we are not going to sell God short on what he can do here. We are going to lean in and we are going to make disciples here at our church. And the good news is, It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus is. And he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And I I look at what's written here in verse 26, and it's beautiful. Look back. It says, for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were what? First called Christians right here in Antioch. The believers in Antioch 2,000 years ago were the first ones to be called Christians. And they weren't called Christians because that's just normally what you do. Oh, you go to church, you're a Christian. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus, now you're a Christian. They didn't get the name Christian because that was what was normative. They got the name Christian because it literally means little Christ. They embodied a picture of what Jesus looked like when he was here. They embodied an image of what Jesus looked like when he was on earth. It was given to them because they modeled, they emulated, they looked like little representatives of Jesus. And so today, if you consider yourself a Christian, we stand on the shoulders of these men and women 2,000 years ago that took their faith seriously that grew in their faith and walked out their faith such that the gospel is now here 2,000 years later. They were little Christs. Mike Glenn also says it this way. If I were to hold up a tube that said toothpaste on it and I squeezed it, what would come out? 
If you said toothpaste, well, maybe, but maybe not. If you squeeze it, what's on the inside comes out. Maybe it's toothpaste, maybe it's not. But when you squeeze something, what's on the inside comes out. When, when people looked at this group at Antioch, when they were squeezed their life, it screamed, little Christ. I, I pray that that's, that's, that's true for us. And when Barnabas got there, look back at verse 23, he arrived and he saw the grace of God. An imperfect group of people starting an imperfect church, but the grace of God was all over it. And Barnabas rejoiced over the grace of God in the lives of these people. And he encouraged them and he taught them grace of God. Now, it doesn't matter where you feel like you are, what your starting point is, or how much you feel like you've failed today. God restores. Don't forget, the church at Antioch is being led and discipled by a guy whose former aim was to stomp out the existence of Christians. So whatever issue you got today, can we just agree it's not that? Do not underestimate the power of God in your life. We want to be disciples that multiply disciples. And to do that, I want to give you a couple ways that you can begin that rhythm this week. If you were here on Easter, I offered you a 90-day challenge, and many of you are back, and I'm so glad you're here. And here's a couple of the steps that you can take. So if you take notes, write these down. If you don't take notes, church, what do we do? Write these down. Everybody, write these down. So here's a couple of places you can start. Number one, wherever you are, Start right now. But wait, I feel like I've failed for so long. I'm a single parent. I'm trying to do this. Or Man, if I start now, if I try to make a change, I'm just a hypocrite. Well, welcome to the club. Your life is a testimony of the gospel, and the gospel is all about new beginnings. So we take a step. We get started. As I said, he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And one of the most devastating tactics of the enemy isn't just that he can knock you down, is that he convinces you to stay down. Do not stay down. Get up. Start moving. A body in motion will stay in motion But a body at rest will stay what? At rest. You have to choose. Today I'm going to get started. Today is where I'm going to begin. Today is the day. And I know for some of you, you're like, no, no, no. I've been walking with Jesus for 20 or 30 years. I've kind of got this thing figured out. I don't really have a next step. If you didn't have a next step to take with the Lord, do you know where you would be? Heaven. You'd be home. So if you're here, if you wake up tomorrow, your alarm clock goes off, like, oh, I've got something else to do, more to learn, another place to grow, another person to disciple. You have a next step. Maybe some of you have lost your excitement for Jesus because you've known him so long and you're coasting. You've forgotten what it feels like to be alive, to be filled with the Spirit, to be carrying out his mission. He left you here for a purpose. Get started. And some of you are right in the middle of that journey, and it's hard, and it's difficult. Amen. One author says that discipleship and following Jesus is a long path of obedience in the same direction. Get up, and you keep moving. So wherever you are, brand new to Christ, 30 years in, help us multiply disciples. One way to do that 
is, is to start imitating. Imitate the life and mission and purpose of Jesus in your life. An evidence of your salvation is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Begin to think, do, what do I really need to imitate more this week? Is it generosity? Is it peace? Is it joy? You can't do all things at one time, but pick one area. Hey, this is it's a picture of the life of Jesus. I want to see more evident in my life. This is a fruit of the Spirit I want to see more evident in my life. This is a picture of the early church and the way they lived out the gospel that I want to see in my life. And you begin to imitate it. And we imitate Jesus because others will imitate us. Paul said, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. He wasn't arrogant. He was saying, hey, here is a picture in front of you. Every one of you in this room is a picture to someone else that they're trying to follow and model their life after. And for those of you who are parents, most of what a child learns is caught, not taught. So you begin to imitate. You live out the gospel. You're renewed by the gospel. You open your Bible. You pray. You confess sin. You apologize. You admit that you don't do things well and right. You imitate all of that. What is one area of your faith that you need to imitate better this week, the life of Jesus better modeled in your life. And then to encourage you, I really want you to try to integrate that. And here's what I mean. For the first, I don't know, maybe five or ten years of my life as a follower of Jesus, here's where I struggled. I would hear a sermon like this, and what I would do is I would make a list of two or three or four things that I needed to do. Okay, I need to do this this week. 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 And it was so exhausting. Do you ever just feel that way? Like, I'm just, it's really hard to try to do all of these things all the time. And it just feels frustrating to have to try to, like, go back to my list. I'm not asking you to create a list of things to do. Integrate means this is who we're becoming, it's not what I do, it's who I'm becoming. God, would you transform me? Would you help me become? Would you create in me this way? God, would you cultivate in my heart? It's not what I do, it's who I'm becoming. And the Easter survey showed that 78%, or maybe it was 82% of our church is raising a kid at home right now. And so... For those of you who are parents, I just want to really encourage you on this integration point that, hey, class is always in session and you're always teaching. And so what we want to avoid is, is giving them a picture that, hey, Jesus is a really big deal when we show up at church on Sunday, but he's not that big of a deal until we go back two or three weeks later. So we want to integrate that into our daily life. God has entrusted this next generation to you to train for his purposes, not ours, for his kingdom mission, not ours, for his glory, not ours. Which leads to the last point in all of our lives. We, as disciples who multiply disciples, we want to be equipped to launch. We want to launch you into your neighborhood, to the nations, to your places of work, to your ball field, to the school, to a cup of coffee. We want to launch you out of here. And the church 
is special when she gathers, but this is the celebration of what God has done. It's really special when we're launched out of here every week to be the hands and feet of Jesus all over Middle Tennessee into the world. We're equipped to launch, to be sent out as missionaries, to be sent out as darkness disruptors, to be sent out. We're equipped to launch you out into the mission of God. And again, for those of you who are parents, your primary job is giving them roots as a kid now so that they have wings to fly later. Equipping the next generation of disciple multipliers here in our church. Psalm 127 says it this way. It says, children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. Arrows aren't given to a warrior just to keep in the sheath. Arrows are given so that he'll fling them out into battle. So the next generation that we're raising, and again, 80 plus percent of us in this room, this is us. They're not accessories to our lifestyle. They're not burdens to our schedule. They're arrows in the hand, hopefully, of us as warriors ready to be launched out into kingdom battle. And one author said it this way. He said, when you take what God intended to be kingdom advancers and darkness disruptors, and you just turn them into decorations for your life, not only do you thwart the plan of God in their life, but you can discourage them from faith altogether. And here's why, and this is why Equipped to Launch is so important. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, it, it makes the most sense when it's taught in the context of mission. This is meant to be lived out in the rhythms of our daily lives. We don't want to raise up a generation or a church that's just bored. There's more to being a disciple than just gathering and hopefully liking the music and maybe enjoying the sermon. There's this whole life of mission, kingdom advancement and darkness disruption that is before us. And so we should be equipping to launch. And for those of you who are parents, your children are arrows and they are designed to be launched. And as a church, we should be modeling for one another that Jesus is so good and so glorious and his mission is so great that the American dream is actually a nightmare. There's something better. There's something more. And so as a church, that's why we've said, hey, this year is a year where we want to go deeper. And we hope everybody in Knowlesville hears the gospel because of us. But I don't want people going through life with a seven-year-old faith or an 18-year-old faith. I don't, I want people going through life with a full faith, being discipled, discipling others, launching out arrows, raising up a generation that wants to launch more arrows. Amen? So that's where we're headed. And speaking of equipped to launch, I'm gonna, I want to pray for you, but we want to conclude our service with an exciting announcement about a transition that's coming in our collective body of churches. And so I'm gonna pray for you, I wanna pray over you, and then I'm gonna share some news for you. So Lord, I pray that, that we would be disciples that multiply disciples, that the grace of God would mark our church and that we would have people in our lives, just like Paul and Barnabas, that are 
equipping us and teaching us and discipling us. I pray that we would have people in our lives that we're equipping and teaching, discipling, not just so that we would learn more and understand how many nails were in the ark one day, but so that we would multiply more disciples and reach more people for Jesus and see more people saved and more legacies written and that they would become disciples that multiply disciples until you come back and get us. Would that be our rhythm in Jesus' name? And everybody said, amen.